He has done great things, has he not? Our God is a good God. He's a faithful God, and he's been faithful to us as a church, and I trust that he has been faithful to you as a member of his family. And uh, there's some great things that we need to celebrate here. Uh, You might remember towards the end of the year, we made a bit of a mortgage push. We were hoping to get the mortgage paid off. And while we came a little short of that goal, we did see a tremendous response. Over $40,000 was given to help pay down the mortgage. We've made those payments. We received uh, some additional money that came in at the beginning of the month as well and, and have been making that along with our regular mortgage payments. And it appears that the next budget year will be the final budget year that Linwood Church will have a mortgage in its budget. And that is something to celebrate. So there's still a chance. There's still time. Our budget year ends at the end of April. So if you didn't and you'd like to, you're, you're more than welcome to uh, to make a, a a principal payment, just indicate that on your check, and uh, that will help us in our budget planning in the future. If you didn't receive your giving statement on the way in, we do have your giving statements for 2018 as you prepare to do taxes and things like that. Uh, that may be helpful to you. If nothing else, it's helpful to just see. Uh, make sure that we have everything that you have. Make sure that those uh, giving receipts match up. Um, so you can uh, stop by right out on the corner of the office there. If you didn't receive that on the way in, there are people that will help you find that, and uh, we'll have those this week and next, and then we'll put the rest in the mail. Um, There's also some exciting things happening. We had a membership class the last couple of weeks after service. Uh, We had 17 people sign up for that. Uh, 15 people came through the whole process. We've received applications for membership. We've got people that want to be baptized, and there are just exciting things happening. A lot of new faces. Uh, We've even seen a new face on stage helping lead us in worship, and Kim, uh, and, and we're just excited. There's, there's new things and new people coming and new things happening, and it's exciting. So uh, while this is the end of a sermon series, uh, I wanted to take a minute just to celebrate the great things that God is doing among us as, uh, as we have been moving forward by faith at the beginning of this year. As you've probably heard, we've been talking about a number of different things in this chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, in this idea of of by faith we do certain things as the people of God. We started it off, by faith we look to the future. We don't focus only on the past. We don't focus only on the present. But faith believes and puts our hope in the God of the future as well. We talked about enduring difficulty by faith. By faith we find the strength and the power that we need to endure difficulty, to, to persevere, so to speak. Last week we talked about being a blessing to others. That we are blessed to be a blessing, and by faith we bless others. That, that seeking to not get all we can for ourselves, but rather to let God's blessing flow through us to others is an act of faith. Because it says that there is more than enough to go around, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That when we give back to Him, when we serve Him, when we give our first and our best to Him, it's an act of faith because we're saying, God, we trust you. We trust you to do what is right with it. We trust you to replenish it. We trust you to provide for us and to protect us. So last week's bottom line was that we are blessed to be a blessing. We bridge the gap from enduring difficulties by faith into blessing others by faith with this idea that, that as we receive comfort from God, as we receive blessing from God, we are then able to bless others. We are then able to come alongside others and comfort them. 
And we had some great opportunities this past week. Uh, whenever somebody experiences loss, that's a beautiful opportunity to come alongside with the comfort we've received. And so while many of you were, were touched by the life of Char Nelson and uh, were grieved by her sudden passing, it's an opportunity to receive comfort from God. It's an opportunity to come alongside each other and be a blessing to each other and comfort each other with the comfort that we've received. And we think of the Kavanaugh's and the Cards as their families are going through a similar loss. And we have an opportunity then to come alongside them with the comfort that we've received. And it's a beautiful example of that. This week we're going to finish the series with the idea that by faith we are made perfect. By faith... We are made perfect. Now, our vision here at Linwood, as Pastor Zach mentioned this morning, as we talk about a lot, is to be a, a healthy family of families. That we want to we be a healthy church family filled with healthy families that are growing families. We, we did a series this past spring into summer where we looked at, at the family of families concept from a number of different angles. That we would be a healthy family of healthy families. That we would be a, a humble family of humble families. Be a prayerful family of prayerful families. And we looked at that over a six or seven week period. But you notice I didn't preach a, ser- a sermon in that, uh, in that series titled A Perfect Family of Perfect Families. Would that kind of rub you the wrong way? Like, is that a little idealistic? So what's the deal with perfection? Why, why do we kind of draw back from perfection? You might remember that the final message in that series was a Christ-centered family of Christ-centered families. And as we center our lives on Jesus and we become increasingly like him, we are increasingly becoming perfect in him. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that today. As we are Christ-centered and centered on him and we become more and more like Jesus, we can become perfect in a number of different ways. But I don't know about you, that, that word perfect or perfection, it, it kind of, it, it's a loaded word, isn't it? I'm a, I'm a, I like to refer to as a recovering perfectionist. Anybody else so bold as to, yeah, that's me too. I'm kind of a recovering perfectionist. And, and this idea of perfection, you know, being a perfectionist kind of gets a bad rap, but it does have a few benefits, doesn't it? You know, perfectionists have high standards, and they, they tend to reach for the best, and they hold themselves to high standards. They want everything to be right, to be perfect. It can be driven to succeed. And America really rewards those things. The business, the corporate culture really rewards those things. People that have high standards and are driven to succeed and seek to do things perfectly on a regular basis. So much so that we come to expect that. And when we come to expect it of ourselves in an unhealthy way or expect it of other people in an unhealthy way or, or even in the church, we come to expect perfection out of our leaders or out of, out of those people that are, are ministering or are serving to us. It can have some negative impacts. In our own lives, there's some drawbacks. In my own life, there's some drawbacks to perfectionism because it can easily drift into legalism or it can cause me to manipulate other people or manipulate situations. There's drawbacks of, of perfectionism when it causes us to be arrogant or look down on other people or, or create double standards. And in my own life, not yours, I'm sure, but in my own life, it has caused me to be a little OCD at times, you know, a little... little my wife's not, yeah, yeah. My staff would probably say the same thing. Yeah, oh my gosh, you know. 
And, and so much so that I'll say, you know, we shouldn't call it OCD. It should be CDO so that the letters are in alphabetical order as they should be, right? I mean, confession time. I'm the guy that rearranges the dirty dishes in the dishwasher just to get them perfect, which happens to be my way, right? In fact, I don't even think OCD should be called a disorder because order is the entire point of it. So it's so frustrating when people call it a disorder. It's not about disorder. It's about order. Things have a place and a way of being done. And like I said, recovering. Not there, but recovering. You know, I I remember reading uh, a Thomas Carlyle quote, and he said, Good is not good because better is better. And I added, better is not better because perfect is perfect. You know, I mean, that's, this is deep, okay? And this, what you see now is post-counseling. I remind people that all the time. Like, I've been through counseling. Don't tell me I need to get counseling. I've, I'm in it. I've been through it. This is post-counseling, okay? So imagine what it was like before. But we all struggle with this idea of perfection to some degree. Some of us lean into it, and we strive for it, and we do so at great personal cost, Others kind of throw up our hands and we say, I can't, can't be perfect, so I'm not even going to try. And those two extremes, some of us kind of vacillate back and forth, right? You know, balances that thing that we pass on the way from one extreme to another. We want to be here. We want to do our best and try our best, recognizing that that might be different in different seasons of life and how well we've slept and those types of things. But the, the, the reality is that there comes a point in time where we have to do our best and recognize that that may not be perfect and not hold others to those same unrealistic expectations. And sometimes what we deem as perfect is really our preference. It's how I would prefer that it is done. And I say that's perfect so that I can try to hold others to that same standard. But the reality is that we're called over and over to surrender ourselves and to seek His will and what he wants. So, with that as sort of a backdrop on this idea of perfection, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 11, first few verses of chapter 12. It's on page 1877, if you've got one of our hardcover pew Bibles. And, uh, and listen to, to what the writer of Hebrews says about perfect, being made perfect. Why would we title a sermon series, By Faith We Are Made Perfect? These, all the people he's been talking about, from Abel and Enoch to Abraham and Moses to the law, all the prophets and, and leaders of the nation, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What do you think he means by that? What do you think the writer means? Talking about all these Old Testament heroes of the faith, saying that they didn't receive what was, what was promised. They, they only welcomed it by faith. They only, they only received the promise by faith and put their faith in that. And then verse 40, he says, God had planned something better for us, all of us together, so that only together with us would they, these Old Testament heroes, be made Perfect with us. God is saying in his word that with us, we will all be made perfect together. What is he saying there? I believe the answer comes in the next chapter, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. He says, therefore, because we're going to be made perfect, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us get rid of the things that keep us 
from being made perfect. The distractions, the weights that we carry through life, the things that we're not willing to forgive, the things that we're not willing to set aside for Him, the sin that so easily entangles. We have a part to play in this being made perfect. It's that we would get rid of the things that distract us from God and from what He wants for us and get rid of the sins that entangle us and trip us up and cause us to fall short. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's a word that will be underlined in red if you use it anywhere else. But in the Bible, it's this this idea that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. He's perfecting us. We are being made perfect. Our faith is being made perfect. And who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the one who makes us perfect, and he makes us perfect by faith. I didn't include it initially, but as I was reading through this, I was drawn to verse 4. And it talks about in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. What is the struggle against? Is it against each other? No, it's against sin. That We're to struggle against sin. We're to strive against sin as we remove the weights that, that slow us down and the sins that entangle us. We struggle against sin. We strive. We work. We are, we are putting in the effort. One of my favorite quotes is, is that faith is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We will not earn our salvation. We will not earn our redemption. But we can expend effort in following Christ. There's nothing wrong with putting in some effort in that. And we see this in a struggle against sin. We ought to be struggling and striving against sin. There's another passage that I want to look at this morning. It's Hebrew, it's, uh, sorry, it's Psalm 18. Psalm 18, that's page 856. I'm going to put a couple of the verses up on the screen behind me, but if you want to turn there, you certainly can. And this is David. So this idea of perfection and of God making us perfect is not unique to the author of Hebrews. It's something that we see throughout the Old Testament. We see Jesus speaking about it. We see David writing about it in this psalm. He says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. So God's ways are perfect. His word is perfect. And he arms us with strength and makes our way perfect. If we will follow him, if we will lean into him. Because David saw, he saw God and he saw that his ways were perfect, that his law was perfect, that his word was perfect, that his revelation to us was perfect. And then he concludes, God arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. God is in the business of perfecting us. And so as we consider this perfection, as we consider being made perfect, I want to look at the Hebrew word for perfect that we see in Psalm 18 here. And I want to look at the Greek word for perfect uh, that we hear Jesus referring to and that is used here in Hebrews 11. The Hebrew word for perfect is tamim, tamim. 
And what it really means is complete or blameless or without defect. And so those are all aspects of perfection. And as it's used most often in the Old Testament, it's referring to things like the sacrifices, that God wanted perfect sacrifices. It's referring to our morality, that he expected perfect morality from his people. And he understood and he knew and he cast a vision for the people of Israel that they would be perfect, that they would be perfect in regards to morality and that that would be a light to the world around them and that that other people would see how well the society functioned and they would say, what's going on in there? What, what, what are you doing? How, do you, how are you doing? And it would be a, a way of being light to the world around them. And finally, to the eternity that we'll spend with him. It doesn't say pretty good. There's no, there's no pretty good in the sacrifices. There's no exhortation to be pretty good in our morality. And that God doesn't promise us a pretty good eternity. He promises us perfect eternity. He expects us to desire and to strive towards a perfect morality and to bring him perfect sacrifices. Not, not that crippled old goat over there, you know, He says, don't even bother. Bring me the best. Bring me the firstborn. Bring me a perfect one without blemish, without defect. Then in the New Testament, we use the Greek language in the New Testament. And Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 5, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's a tall order, isn't it? That's a tall order. He equates the perfection that that is desired from us to the perfection that God exhibits for us. And here the Greek word is teleos, teleos. And it means to be complete, to be mature, to be finished. To be complete, to be mature, to be finished. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, I mentioned James 1.4, where we're talking about how suffering produces in perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The literal translation there of James 1.4 is to allow perseverance to have its perfect result, which is our perfection, that we would be perfected by the things that we go through, by learning to persevere, by, by going through difficulties and learning to rely fully upon God. And so when he talks about this idea of being mature and complete, it reminds me of Jesus on the cross, and he declares, it is finished. It is finished. The work has been done. Nothing more needs to be done. Our Savior lived a perfect, sinless life, died a horrific death in order to pay the penalty for our sins. And the last thing he said was, it's finished. It's been done. Nothing more needs to be added to it. And that's why Hebrews 12 tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, too, tells us that he sat down. He endured the cross and sat down. He sat down because he was finished. He sat down because he was ready for the place of honor that had been declared and ordained for him since the beginning of time. Nobody sits in the presence of God except the Savior, except Jesus. And I love that image of him seated because the work is done. He did what he came to do. He paid the penalty for our sins, and it is finished. He was the perfect sacrifice, lived a perfect death, or lived a perfect life, died a perfect death to pay the penalty. For our sins. And that's why our bottom line this week is that Jesus is both the example and the empowerment of our perfection. When this passage of Scripture we're looking at says that we will be made perfect with Him, Jesus is the, the example of our perfection. That's why we fix our eyes on Him. And He is the empowerment of our 
perfection. He's the example because he lived that sinless life of moral perfection. He never slipped up. He never made a sin of omission or commission. He never got anything wrong. He lived that perfect sinless life. And he served then as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf, blameless and without blemish, in order to conquer sin, in order to conquer death for us. He is the example of perfection. But he's also the empowerment of perfection. He doesn't just cast the vision for our lives and leave us no possible way of attaining it or striving towards it and leave us on our own. He's also the empowerment, we're told in Hebrews 12. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the perfecter because he gives us the ability to be perfected through the power of the Holy Spirit. He teaches on the Holy Spirit. One of the last things that he made sure the disciples understood in John 14, 15, and 16, he talked to them about the Holy Spirit, about the counselor that was to come, about the one that was going to come. And he said, it's even, it's so, the Holy Spirit is such a gift that it's, it's good that I go away, he says, so that the Spirit may come, so that you will have an advocate before the Father. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, can be at work in us, and can give us the victory over sin. So when we talk about perfection, I really want us to see it in three distinct ways, to understand and see perfection in three different ways as it regards salvation, discipleship, and death. Salvation, discipleship, and death. We sang about the great things that God is doing, has done, and will do. Salvation, sanctification, or discipleship, and death. He's doing great things, has done great things, will do great things in those three areas. So the first area that we need to see this is in the area of salvation. This is the initial work of grace. This is the initial action that we respond to God's grace and receive salvation, receive him paying the penalty for our sin. Because sin tarnishes us and stains us and makes us unfit for heaven. It creates a debt that we cannot pay. So that's why Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, that's not good news, is it? (laughs) We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all excluded ourselves, made ourselves unfit for heaven. We've all created a debt that we can't pay. The good news comes in passages like 1 John 1, 9, where it says that if we confess our sin, if we agree with God that we sin, and we confess that to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That sounds like a lot better news than the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short. He's made provision for us through Christ that if we confess that sin, he is faithful and just. So that Romans 6 can be true when it says that while the wages of sin is death, while our sin separates us from God and will separate us from him for eternity, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, lest anyone should boast. We're back to that faith that we've been talking about for the last month. We are saved through faith. Faith in Christ washes us, and it cancels the debt. It cancels the debt that we couldn't pay anyway. So while we're talking about that, I want to I mention the baptisms that I talked about earlier. We're planning to have baptisms on February 10th, and if you have 
felt a nudge, if you've felt tapped on the shoulder by God, if you've never been baptized as an adult and you've heard me talk about it a couple of times and you're wanting to make a public profession of your faith, then there is a box on your connection card on the back side. You can check that box for baptism and I'll reach out to you and have a conversation with you. How many of you were here in December when we had baptisms? Wasn't that a powerful experience to see people making that public profession of faith, stepping forward and saying, I believe the things that we just sang. And if you want to be a part of that, there are others that are going to be a part of that. And I would invite you to join them and, and, and celebrate that together. So salvation, the initial work of grace, this is the idea of justification, that Christ justifies us. And the idea here is that I am made perfect in God's sight by faith. When I put my faith and my hope, my trust in Christ for the payment of my sins, I'm made perfect in his sight. The Bible talks about Jesus taking his righteousness and putting it on us so that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. This is good news. Trust me. That's what I want God seeing when he looks at me. The second area where we need to understand perfection is the area of discipleship. Or sanctification. This is called the second work of grace. This is the ongoing work of grace where we are made, being made perfect, becoming like Christ, as disciples of Christ. That's why we talk about discipleship, because Jesus told us to go and make disciples. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. We're called to follow him. A disciple is a follower, a learner, an apprentice of Christ. And so we are called to be and to make other disciples, other followers, other learners of Christ. And we make, this, we make this bigger than it is sometimes because as he is the example and the empowerment of our discipleship, of our ongoing perfection, he calls us simply to live our lives as he would if he were you, if he were me. That's my call as a disciple of Jesus Christ to take every role in my life and to live that role as Jesus would if he were me. Now, I get this wrong. It seems as often as I get it right. But my goal as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be a husband to Heather, a father to Keaton, Ryan, Owen, and Carson, the pastor of Linwood Wesleyan Church, a son to my mom and dad, a brother to my sister, a brother in Christ to my brothers and sisters in Christ as Jesus would if he were me. And so that makes discipleship simply saying, Jesus, what would you do in this set of circumstances? What would you do if you were faced with these challenges? What would you do in this role, in this relationship? And then do that. That's discipleship. And helping others to do the same. It's this training in righteousness and abiding in Christ. And Philippians 1.6 is very good news here. It says that he who began the good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. If we would just lean into him, if we would just ask him the question and listen for the answer and do what Jesus would do in any situation. Now, in order to do what Jesus would do, you have to know what Jesus did. And that's why you have to be in the word. And that's why you have to get a steady diet of God's word into your life, especially the gospels, to know what Jesus did in various situations, in various circumstances. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament to get insight into the mind and heart and character of God so that you know how he'll respond and what he expects of you in various situations. Read Proverbs so that you understand what wise people do in a variety of different situations, in relationships, in business transactions, in, in social circles. The Bible is rich and full of instruction so that we'll know what Jesus did so that we would know what we ought to do 
in those circumstances. Sanctification is all about the statement, I am being made perfect in Christ through faith. I am being made perfect. And we lean into that and we strive for that. We don't just throw up our hands and say, oh, sin I will, sin I must. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Who will save me? Oh, thanks be to Jesus. I prayed a prayer one time, so I'm good to go. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that we are empowered. He's not just the example. He's the empowerment of being made perfect. And finally, the final area is death. It's the final work of grace. It's the eternal work of grace. As he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, which you can read all about in Revelation 4 and 5. It's wonderful to imagine what is going to take place and imagine what God is going to do on our behalf. And we're told that we will be ushered into eternity with him in the land that casts no shadows. It's only light all around us. There are no shadows. And he'll wipe away every tear from our face. And he is preparing the banquet table for us even now. It's the final work. It's the glorification that awaits us. It's the conquest of sin and death forever. There is no more sin. There is no more death. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to cry about because he has solved everything for us forever. And sin no longer exists. That's glorification. That's the final work. That's I will be made perfect forever by faith. So in summary of these three, just to recap it, in Christ, I have been made perfect in God's sight through faith. In Christ, I am being made perfect through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, I will be made perfect forever. Question is, have you? Have you been made perfect? When God looks at you, does he see Christ's righteousness cloaked over you? Have you received him by faith? Another question. Are you? Are you being made perfect? Are you leaning into the Holy Spirit? Are you asking him, saying, show me, search me, and show me anything that is not pleasing in your sight so that I can deal with that, so I can address that, so I can, can overcome that. Show me anyone I need to forgive. Show me anything that I need to make right, any wrong that I have committed. Are you being made perfect progressively? Are we dealing with the, the things that were a part of our past that ought not to be a part of our future? Are we becoming holier and more like Christ? And finally, will you be with him for eternity? Will you, are you certain by faith that you will be with him for eternity? Because Jesus is both the example and the empowerment of perfection. He has a vision for your life, and it is a perfect vision for your life. Don't settle for anything less than that. Lean into it. He is there to empower you. A little bit of homework. We've spent the last four weeks studying one chapter of Scripture. And I want to encourage you. I want to dare you if you're into dares. I dare you to set aside 30 to 60 minutes in the next week the next seven days, if you're a phone calendar person, put it on your calendar and read this chapter slowly and carefully. And then spend some time journaling on the ideas that we've been talking about and write statements like, by faith, I look to the future, dot, dot, dot. And complete the blank. And tell God what you're looking for in the future and pray through that as you write. By faith, 
I have endured difficulty or I am enduring difficulty and write about that and write about how he's with you and write about how you're learning to trust him and how you're learning to rely on him and how you're learning to cling to him. Then write a paragraph, by faith I will bless others. And write about the ways that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing. The skills and abilities that you have. The resources that you have. The the opportunities that you have to bless somebody else in your life, in your circle of influence. And lastly, by faith. I'm being made perfect. And journal about that. Write about things that you'd like to get out of your life. Or things that have left your life in the last year or two. Thanks be to God. He has led you to be made perfect in His sight. Or write about what you expect heaven to be like. Read Revelation 4 and 5 and write about it. Lord, I can't wait. Spend some time doing that. It will bless you. It will strengthen your faith. And it will bless you to be a blessing to someone else and to strengthen their faith. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I hope you'll do that. And we're starting a new series next week. You know, I get excited about new series. So come back next week. Bring somebody new. A new series is always a great opportunity to invite somebody to church. It's just a natural opportunity. Just because you've invited somebody before doesn't mean there's some rule that you can't invite them again. Say, we got a new series. It's titled Devoted. We're going to talk about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right out of the Acts 2.42. Right out of the launching of God's church. And we want to be a biblical church. We want to be biblical Christians following Christ's example, this is a great opportunity for you to invite somebody to church and say, hey, come, come to Linwood. Come see what's going on. Come and see. It's simple as that. Last thing I want to tell you before we respond and, and, and lead us in a time of prayer, the altars will be open. We've got a new way for you to respond down here. Uh, John uh, Skibout made this beautiful cross for us, and it's actually got some chicken wire in there. And you might say, why in our world did you have him put chicken wire in the middle of the cross? Well, there's a good reason. There are slips of paper over here. We're getting a little shelf made too, but I didn't want to make you wait. There's little slips of paper over here that say, I humbly offer this prayer in faith. And then you can write your prayer down and you can roll it up and you can stick it in that chicken wire. And we're going to watch that cross fill up as people respond to God in faith, as people make their prayer requests to God and roll them up and stick them in there. And we're going to fill that thing up and then we'll take some out and we'll pray over them and we'll see more, one, more of them come in. This doesn't need to be signed. It's just a way for you to respond. If you're a little timid about getting up in the middle of a response song and walking across the front, go around the back, do whatever you have to do, come in after service, but take the opportunity to respond in faith to God and to say, I trust you and I believe you and I know that you hear my prayer and I'm writing this out and I'm placing it in the cross as a, as a symbol that I can look over there and know that I made a prayer request and that others can come by. And if you're a member of the prayer team or you like to come in and pray in the sanctuary, you can stop there and just pray over those requests. And I believe God will honor that because he is a God who longs to hear our prayers, who longs to hear our heart cries. And I want to encourage you to respond. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you're not finished with us. Thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we confess that you are faithful to bring to completion the good work that you have begun in each of us. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the penalty for our sins, that you, that you are longing to usher each and every one of us into eternity with you. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to respond in faith to the word that we have heard, respond in faith to 
to the impression that your spirit has made upon us. Respond in faith to the good news of the gospel. If we've heard that for the first time today, understood it for the first time, and are leaning into you for the first time, Lord, help us. Help us to cross over that line to receive the gift of your grace and your salvation. However we respond, Lord, may we be a people who respond in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray.